Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BBJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is the show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found in the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link in every post. Tonight we continue our story, The Wind in the Willows, by Kenneth Graham. When at last the mole woke up, much refreshed and in his usual spirits, the rat said, Now then, I'll just take a look outside and see if everything's quiet, and then we really must be off. He went to the entrance of their retreat and put his head out. Then the mole heard him saying quietly to himself, Hello? Hello, here is a go. What's up, Ratty? asked the mole. Snow is up, replied the rat briefly. Or rather, down, it's snowing hard. The mole came and crouched beside him and, looking out, saw the wood that had been so dreadful to him in quite a changed aspect. Holes, hollows, pools, pitfalls, and other black menaces to the wayfarer were vanishing fast, and a gleaming carpet of fairy was springing up everywhere that looked too delicate to be trodden upon by rough feet. A fine powder filled the air and caressed a cheek with a tingle in its touch and the black holes of the trees showed up in a light that seemed to come from below. "'Well, well, it can't be helped,' said the rat, after pondering. "'We must make a start and take our chance, I suppose. "'The worst of it is I don't exactly know where we are. "'And now this snow makes everything look so very different.' "'It did, indeed. "'The mole would not have known that it was the same wood.' However, they set out bravely and took the line that seemed most promising, holding on to each other and pretending with invincible cheerfulness that they recognized an old friend in every fresh tree that grimly and silently greeted them, or saw openings, gaps, or paths with a familiar turn in them in the monotony of white space and black tree trunks that refused to vary. An hour or two later, they had lost all count of time, They pulled up, dispirited, weary, and hopelessly at sea, and sat down on a fallen tree trunk to recover their breath and consider what was to be done. They were aching with fatigue and bruised with tumbles. They had fallen into several holes and got wet through. The snow was getting so deep that they could hardly drag their little legs through it, and the trees were thicker and more like each other than ever. There seemed to be no end to this wood and no beginning. And no difference in it, and worst of all, no way out. We can't sit here very long, said the rat. We shall have to make another push for it and do something or other. The cold is too awful for anything, and the snow will soon be too deep for us to wade through. He peered about him and considered. Look here, he went on. This is what occurs to me. There's a sort of dell down here in front of us where the ground seems all hilly and humpy and hummocky. We'll make our way down into that and try and find some sort of shelter, a cave or hole with a dry floor to it, out of the snow and the wind, and there we'll have a good rest before we try again. 
for we're both of us pretty dead beat. Besides, the snow may leave off or something may turn up. So once more they got on their feet and struggled down into the dell, where they hunted about for a cave or some corner that was dry and a protection from the keen wind and the whirling snow. They were investigating one of the hummocky bits the rat had spoken of, when suddenly the mole tripped up and fell forward on his face with a squeal. "'Oh, my leg!' he cried. "'Oh, my poor shin!' And he sat up on the snow and nursed his leg in both his front paws. "'Poor old mole,' said the rat kindly. "'You don't seem to be having much luck today, do you?' "'Let's have a look at the leg.' "'Yes,' he went on, going down on his knees to look. "'You've cut your shins, sure enough. "'Wait till I get at my handkerchief and I'll tie it up for you. "'I must have tripped over a hidden branch or a stump,' said the mole miserably. "'Oh, my, oh, my!' "'It's a very clean cut,' said the rat, examining it again attentively. "'That was never done by a branch or a stump.' Looks as if it was made by a sharp edge of something in metal. Funny, he pondered a while, and examined the humps and slopes that surrounded them. Well, never mind what done it, said the mole, forgetting his grammar in his pain. It hurts just the same whatever done it. But the rat, after carefully tying up the leg with his handkerchief, had left him and was busy scraping in the snow. He scratched and shoveled and explored, all four legs working busily, while the mole waited impatiently, remarking at intervals, Oh, come on, rat! Suddenly, the rat cried, Hooray! And then, Hooray, 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 hooray! And fell to executing a feeble jig in the snow. What have you found, rat? He asked the mole, still nursing his leg. Come and see, said the delighted rat. As he jigged on, the mole hobbled up to the spot and had a good look. Well, he said at last slowly, I see it right enough. Seen the same sort of thing before lots of times. Familiar object, I call it. A door scraper. Well, what of it? Why dance jigs around a door scraper? But don't you see what it means, you, you dull-witted animal? cried the rat impatiently. Of course I see what it means, replied the mole. It simply means that some very careless and forgetful person has left his door scraper lying about in the middle of the wild wood, just where it's sure to trip everybody up. Very thoughtless of him, I call it. When I get home, I shall go and complain about it to, to somebody or other. You see if I don't. Oh dear, oh dear, cried the rat, in despair at his obtuseness. Here, stop arguing, and come and scrape. He set to work again and made the snow fly in all directions around him. After some further toil, his efforts were rewarded, and a very shabby doormat lay exposed to view. There! What did I tell you? exclaimed the rat in great triumph. "'Absolutely nothing, whatever,' replied the Mole, with perfect truthfulness. "'Well, now,' he went on, "'you seem to have found another piece of domestic litter, "'done for and thrown away, and I suppose you're perfectly happy. "'Better go ahead and dance your jig round that if you've got to, "'and get it over, and then perhaps we can go on "'and not waste any more time over rubbish heaps. 
Can we eat a doormat? Or sleep under a doormat? Or sit on a doormat and sledge home over the snow on it, you exasperating rodent? Do you mean to say, cried the excited rat, that this doormat doesn't tell you anything? Really, rat, said the mole quite pettishly. I think we've had enough of this folly. Who ever heard of a doormat telling anyone anything? They simply don't do it. They're not that sort at all. Doormats know their place. Now look here, you fig-headed beast, replied the rat, really angry. This must stop. Not another word but scrape. Scrape and scratch and dig and hunt round, especially on the sides of the hummocks, if you want to sleep dry and warm tonight, for it's our last chance. The rat attacked the snowbank beside them with ardor, probing with his cudgel everywhere and then digging with fury, and the mole scraped busily too, more to oblige the rat than for any other reason, for his opinion was that his friend was getting light-headed. Some ten minutes' hard work, and the point of the rat's cudgel struck something that sounded hollow. He worked till he could get a paw through and feel, then called the mole to come and help him. Hard at it went the two animals, till at last the result of their labor stood full in view of the astonished and hitherto incredulous mole. In the side of what seemed to be a snowbank stood a solid-looking little door, painted a dark green. An iron bell pull hung by the side, and below it, on a small brass plate, Neatly engraved in square capital letters, they could read by the aid of moonlight, Mr. Badger. The mole fell backwards on the snow from sheer surprise and delight. Rat! he cried in penitence. You're a wonder, a real wonder, that's what you are. I see it all now. You argued it out step by step in that wise head of yours from the very moment that I fell and cut my shin. And you looked at the cut, and at once your majestic mind said to itself, Door scraper! And then you turned to and found the very door scraper that done it. Did you stop there? No. Some people would have been quite satisfied, but not you! Your intellect went on working. Let me only find a doormat, says you to yourself, and my theory is proved. And of course you found your doormat. You're so clever, I believe you could find anything you liked. Now, says you, that door exists as plain as if I saw it. There's nothing else remains to be done but to find it. Well, I've read about that sort of things in books, but I've never come across it before in real life. You ought to go where you'll be properly appreciated. You're simply wasted here among us fellows. Oh, if only I had your head ready. But as you haven't interrupted the rat rather unkindly. I suppose you're going to sit on the snow all night and talk. Get up at once and hang on to that bell pull you'll see there and ring hard, as hard as you can, while I hammer. While the rat attacked the door with a stick, the mole sprang up at the bell pull, clutched it, and swung there, both feet well off the ground. And from quite a long way off, they could faintly hear a deep-toned bell respond. Chapter 4 Mr. Badger They waited patiently for what seemed a very long time, stamping in the snow to keep their feet warm. At last they heard the sound of slow, shuffling footsteps 
approaching the door from the inside. It seemed, as the mole remarked to the rat, like someone walking in carpet slippers that were too large for him and down at heel, which was intelligent of mole because that was exactly what it was. There was the noise of a bolt shot back, and the door opened a few inches, enough to show a long snout and a pair of sleepy, blinking eyes. Now, the very next time this happens, said a gruff and suspicious voice, I shall be exceedingly angry. Who is it this time, disturbing people on such a night? Speak up. Oh, Badger, cried the rat, let us in, please. It's me, Rat, and my friend Mole, and we've lost our way in the snow. What? Ratty, my dear little man, exclaimed the Badger in quite a different voice. Come along in, both of you, at once. Must be perished. Well, I never. Lost in the snow? And in the wild wood, too, and at this time of night. Oh, but come in with you. The two animals stumbled over each other in their eagerness to get inside and heard the door shut behind them with great joy and relief. The badger, who wore a long dressing gown and whose slippers were indeed very down at heel, carried a flat candlestick in his paw and had probably been on his way to bed when their summons sounded. He looked kindly down on them and patted both their heads. This is not the sort of night for small animals to be out, he said paternally. I'm afraid you have been up to some of your pranks again, Ratty. But come along. Come into the kitchen. There's a first-rate fire there, and supper and everything. He shuffled on in front of them, carrying the light, and they followed him, nudging each other in an anticipating sort of way, down a long, gloomy, and, to tell the truth, decidedly shabby passage, into a sort of a central hall out of which they could dimly see other long tunnel-like passages branching, passages mysterious and without apparent end. But there were doors in the hall as well, stout, oaken, comfortable-looking doors. One of these the badger flung open, and at once they found themselves in all the glow and warmth of a large, firelit kitchen. The floor was well-worn red brick, and on the wide hearth burnt a fire of logs, between two attractive chimney corners tucked away in the wall, well out of any suspicion of draught. A couple of high-backed settles facing each other on either side of the fire gave further sitting accommodations for the social blade disposed. In the middle of the room stood a long table of plain boards placed on trestles, with benches down each side. At one end of it, where an armchair stood pushed back, were spread the remains of the badger's plain but ample supper. Rows of spotless plates winked from the shelves of the dresser at the far end of the room, and from the rafters overhead hung hams, bundles of dried herbs, nets of onions, and baskets of eggs. It seemed a place where heroes could fitly feast after victory, where weary harvesters could line up in scores along the table and keep their harvest home with mirth and song, or where two or three friends of simple tastes could sit about as they pleased and eat and smoke and talk in comfort and contentment. The ruddy brick floor smiled up at the smoky ceiling. The oaken settles, shiny with long wear, exchanged cheerful glances with each other. 
Plates on the dresser grinned at pots on the shelf, and the merry firelight flickered and played over everything without distinction. The kindly badger thrust them down on a settle to toast themselves at the fire and bade them remove their wet coats and boots. Then he fetched them dressing gowns and slippers, and himself bathed the mole's shin with warm water and mended the cut with sticking plaster till the whole thing was just as good as new, if not better. In the embracing light and warmth, warm and dry at least, with weary legs propped up in front of them and a suggestive clink of plates being arranged on the table behind, it seemed to the storm-driven animals, now in safe anchorage, that the cold and trackless wild wood just left outside was miles and miles away, and all that they had suffered in it a half-forgotten dream. When at last they were thoroughly toasted, the badger summoned them to the table, where he had been busy laying a repast. They had felt pretty hungry before, but when they actually saw at last the supper that was spread for them, really it seemed only a question of what they should attack first, where all was so attractive, and whether the other things would obligingly wait for them till they had time to give them attention. Conversation was impossible for a long time, and when it was slowly resumed, it was that regrettable sort of conversation that comes from talking with your mouthful. The badger did not mind that sort of thing at all, nor did he take any notice of elbows on the table or everybody speaking at once. As he did not go into society himself, he had got an idea that these things belonged to the things that didn't really matter. We know, of course, that he was wrong and took too narrow a view because they do matter very much, though it would take too long to explain he sat in his armchair at the head of the table and nodded gravely at intervals as the animals told their story, and he did not seem surprised or shocked at anything, and he never said, I told you so, or just what I've always said, a remark that they ought to have done so and so or ought not to have done something else. The mole began to feel very friendly towards him. When supper was freely finished at last, and each animal felt that his skin was now as tight as was decently safe, and that by this time he didn't care a hang for anybody or anything, they gathered round the glowing embers of the great wood fire, and thought how jolly it was to be sitting up so late, and so independent, and so full, and after they had chatted for a time about things in general, the badger said heartily, "'Now then!' Tell us the news from your part of the world. How's old Toad going on? Oh, from bad to worse, said the rat gravely. While the mole, cocked up on a settle and basking in the firelight, his heels higher than his head, tried to look properly mournful. Another smash-up lonely last week and a bad one. You see, he will insist on driving himself, and he's hopelessly incapable. If he'd only employ a decent, steady, well-trained animal, pay him good wages and leave everything to him, he'd get on all right, but no. He's convinced he's a heaven-born driver, and nobody can teach him anything, and all the rest follows. How many has he had? inquired the badger gloomily. Smashes or machines? asked the rat. Oh, well. After all, it's the same thing with Toad. This is the seventh. As for the others, you know that coach house of his? Well, it's all piled up. Literally piled up to the roof. 
were fragments of motor cars, none of them bigger than your hat. That accounts for the other six, so far as they can be accounted for. He's been in hospital three times, put in the mall. And as for the fines he's had to pay, it's simply awful to think of. Yes, and that's part of the trouble, continued the rat. Toad's rich, we all know, but he's not a millionaire. And he's a hopelessly bad driver, and quite regardless of law and order. Killed or ruined. Gotta be one of the two things sooner or later. Badger, we're his friends. Oughtn't we to do something? The badger went through a bit of hard thinking. Now, look here, he said, rather severely. Of course you know I can't do anything now. His two friends assented, quite understanding his point. No animal, according to the rules of animal etiquette, is ever expected to do anything strenuous or heroic or even moderately active during the off-season of winter. All are sleepy, some actually asleep. All are weather-bound, more or less, and all are resting from arduous days and nights, during which every muscle in them has been severely tested and every energy kept at full stretch. Very well, then, said the badger. But when once the year has really turned and the nights are shorter and halfway through them one rouses and feels fidgety and wanting to be up and doing by sunrise, if not before, you know, both animals nodded gravely. They knew. Well, then, went on the badger, we, that is, you and me and our friend the mole here, We'll take Toad seriously in hand. We'll stand no nonsense whatsoever. We'll bring him back to reason by force if need be. We'll make him be a sensible Toad. Well, we'll... You're asleep, Rat. Not me, said the Rat, waking up with a jerk. He's been asleep two or three times since supper, said the Mole, laughing. He himself was feeling quite wakeful and even lively, though he didn't know why. The reason was, of course, that being a naturally underground animal by birth and breeding, the situation of Badger's house exactly suited him and made him feel right at home, while the rat, who slept every night in a bedroom, the windows of which opened on a breezy river, naturally felt the atmosphere still and oppressive. "'Well, it's time we were all in bed,' said the badger, getting up and fetching flat candlesticks. "'Come along, you two, and I'll show you your quarters. And take your time tomorrow morning. Breakfast at any hour you please.' He conducted the two animals to a long room that seemed half bedchamber and half lot. The badger's winter stores, which indeed were visible everywhere, took up half the room, Piles of apples, turnips and potatoes, baskets full of nuts, and jars of honey. But the two little white beds on the remainder of the floor looked soft and inviting, and the linen on them, though coarse, was clean and smelt beautifully of lavender. And the mole and the water rat, shaking off their garments in some thirty seconds, tumbled in between the sheets in great joy and contentment. We'll continue our story on our next episode. We are always on the hunt for great stories like these to feature on the show. You can send your suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. 
If you found some value in our storytelling tonight, don't forget to show the love. There's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>